Welcome back to JRoot Radio here on JRootRadio.com on FM Daya 97.5 FM. You're listening now to the Halakha Hour, which is aired live on Wednesday afternoons at 2 to 3 p.m. And then the rerun will be again tonight, this evening, right before midnight, 11 to 12 p.m. midnight. If you are listening to us on the radio and you have any questions or text, the best way to get through to us is by texting, and hopefully we'll get back to you either through a text or maybe on the air. And the subject, just before we give you the phone numbers today, Bazat Asher, from now until Pesach. Pesach will be on Monday evening, April 14th. Actually matches with the English date this year. So therefore, if you have any questions regarding Pesach or subjects, whatever you want to speak about, then you should call in or text in your question. Amazat Hashem, we'll see what we can... Okay, let me see, hold on. Okay, if we could... Um, again, one more time, sorry about that. There was some technical uh, difficulties over here. Okay, let's go back. We are here talking about the Halakhot of Pesach. And Halakhot of Pesach are very, very big. If you have any questions or subjects that you'd like us to speak about or to discuss, to, to explain it, then you could do by calling to the station, or better, to text into the station. The numbers to the station are, here's the text number, 347-927-8398, and the phone number to the station is 718-683-5858. Again, the text number is 347-927-8398, and the studio number is 718-683-5858. Like we said, we'll be talking about the Halakhot of Pesach, and there's really so much to speak about. And there's no way, it's impossible, even though we're starting a little bit earlier, we're really not, because Hachamim tell us, 30 days before the holiday, a person is supposed to already ask about the holiday. And if you think about it, even though we're starting 30 days beforehand, we're only doing four hours, and it's no way going to be sufficient. So what we'll try to do is, that first, for for today's class, we'll try to give a general outline, things that you need to know regarding the month of Nisan, and just a little bit of an idea to get you to get your feet wet for the for the holiday of Pesach. And when it comes to the next coming weeks, we'll see if, based on the questions that we get, we'll be speaking about more uh, subjects that are much more practical, like bedikat hametz, especially with those who go away for Pesach. You should need to know when and how to do bedikat hametz, selling your hametz. Um, we'll talk. Let's just begin with the dates of of, uh, of the holiday of Pesach. This year, 5774, Tavshin Ein Dalit. Pesach will be, first we'll start with Rosh Chodesh. Rosh Chodesh Nisan, which is when already things begin, when the Halakhot already start to kick in, what we're going to speak about today. Rosh Chodesh Nisan is going to be on April 1st. And that works out very easy for us. The Hebrew dates and the non-Jewish dates will be corresponding to each other this year. So whenever, whatever it is, it's exactly the same. Nisan Aleph is going to be on April 1st, which means the Eid of Pesach, which is the day before Pesach, is going to be on April 14th. And that means the first day of Pesach will be Tuesday, April 15th. And Monday night, April 14th, will be the, the Seder, when a lot of the Halakhot of the Seder will also, Bezat Hashem, hopefully we'll dedicate a class for that as well. But more Halakhot right now that are coming up are this week, this Shabbat. This Shabbat in the shul, we'll be having a reading, of course, of the Torah, like we always have, but we'll have a second Sefer Torah we'll be taken out, where we'll read Parashat Parah. What is Parashat Parah? Parashat Parah 
is the parasha that's usually read after Purim. Usually always after Purim, we read, we take out a second Sefer Torah and we read Parashat Parah. Where is it found? You'll find it in the beginning of Parashat Hukat, where the Torah discusses over there the details of Parah Aduma. In short, Parah Aduma is... The subject of Paraduma is that when a person becomes contaminated in times when we had a Beit HaMikdash, which was much more applicable then, a person is not allowed to enter the Beit HaMikdash or the area of Harabait if he has any sort of Tum'ah, especially now the most common Tum'ah, the most common form of impurity that a person would have is called, is called Tum'at Mit. And that comes from being either next to a dead body, in the same room as a dead body, or actually coming in physical contact with a dead body. And that's considered one of the most severe tumot, one of the most severe impurities in the Torah. What makes it severe is that usually most of the impurities are found in Torah go away after a day. Some go away after a week. Here for the tumah of para of tumat mit, the impurity that comes from getting coming in contact with the dead body, it goes away after a few things. Number one is a person has to wait seven days. Number two is a person has to go to the mikveh. Number three is he has to have the ashes of the paraduma sprinkled, up, sprinkled upon him. And there's a whole special process. You look into the Rambam, you see how to do it. And the Torah also pretty much describes it. Now, why am I saying all this? We're talking about halakha because there is halakha lemaaseh. A lot of people don't know this, but you know, if you go to Israel today, you could go on a tour anywhere you want in the old city in Yerushalayim. One of the places that can take you on a tour, if you pay the right price, of course, and that is in the area called Har Habayit. Har Habayit is the area right behind the Kotel. When we stand in the Kotel, the other side of the wall, that whole big area is Har Habayit. Included in that area of the Har Habayit is the location where the Beit HaMikdash used to be. What you see today, the Al-Aqsa Dome, that golden dome over there, they call it Dome of the Rock, that is actually, according to most opinions, is where the Kodesh HaKodeshim used to be. And today, you could go there and you could see it yourself. However, according to us, halakha, it's forbidden for all of us to walk inside of there. Any Jew is forbidden to walk inside of there. How come? Because we are all behezkat tum'at mit. All of us have come in contact with the dead body somehow. Whether we realize it or not realize it, it doesn't make a difference. Even if we don't realize it, even if you're a Kohen and you're very careful not to enter the cemetery, sometimes it happens that a person becomes tamim mit without realizing it. And this truth still applies. A person is not allowed to walk in that area of Harbait today because we have to admit. Then you say, what's the big deal? The big deal is that Torah says anybody who walks into the area of the Mikdash with Tum'ah on him is Hayab Karet. Karet is very severe. Karet means cutting, being cut off. Whether his soul gets cut off different places by the Ramban and Parashat Ahrimot, exactly what Karet means. But it's a very severe sin. And therefore, we have to know this halakha. We read Parashat Para every year to remind ourselves, according to some, it was actually an obligation in HaTorah to read this parasha, to purify ourselves for the coming holiday of Pesach. Why specifically about the holiday of Pesach? Since by Korban Pesach, everybody has to bring a Korban called Korban Pesach. And this Korban Pesach, you have no option of not eating it. You have to eat Korban Pesach. That's what we eat on the night of Seder. The Afikoman is in place of the Korban Pesach. Not necessarily replacing it, but it's, it's like a zikr. It's a memory of the Korban Pesach. But in times when we had a temple, we had a Beit HaMikdash, we have to eat the Korban Pesach. And one of the halakhot which we mentioned in last week's parasha is that a person who is Tameh cannot eat any Kadashim, cannot eat any meat from the Korbanot, or really anything for that at all. But what's most applicable to every single Jew is the Korban Pesach. So therefore, before Pesach comes, 
all Jews had to get go through the process of cleansing themselves from the impurity of Tum'at Met by undergoing the process of the Tahara of from Paraduma. And therefore we read it, we still continue to read it every single year before even Rosh Hodesh Nisan to prepare ourselves for the Bazat saying that Mashiach should come soon and we should have the Beit HaMikdash as Hazal tells us that in Nisan the Beit HaMikdash, the future Beit HaMikdash will be rebuilt. So therefore we're preparing ourselves by reading Pashar Paraduma so when Mashiach comes, we already become pure right away with the Paradma. We already learn it in the Halachot. And therefore, we could go ahead in the Beit HaMikdash and could eat the Kurban Pesach. Even if you don't enter the Beit HaMikdash, but we could eat the Kurban Pesach. There is actually Mahlokit if this is an obligation to hear the Paradma, if it's an obligation, or only Midderabhanan. So therefore, what we, what we say, what the Poskim bring down, is that a person should try to be Mahmir, to apply all the stringencies that we did for Parashat Zachor, meaning ladies should try to hear it. Also, when you take out the Sefer Torah for, para, for Parashat Parah, try to take out the best Sefer Torah that you, find, that you have in the shul. And, of course, try to give the Aliyah only to a person who is worthy of the Aliyah. And there's a lot of details to this, but that's in short regarding for this Shabbat. Now we'll move on, Bezat Hashem, to talk about already the Halachot of the month of Nisan, and of course the holidays of Pesach. Let me just tell you, to show you how complicated, how much things are involved in what a person has to know. And like I said, 30 days, when Hazat told us 30 days before Pesach, we have to prepare ourselves, which means the day right after Purim, and we're still a little bit uh, tipsy from the wine and, and whatever we drank also on Purim, but still, we have to know there's not really so much time. There's a lot to do. First, we I broke it up over here into 11 different subjects. These are only headlines. These are only headings. Each heading has its own subheadings. And each one, of course, has all the details. And some have more than others. But in any case, it's still the heading. The, the breakup of the, uh, of the halachot that we need to know for this coming up holiday is, first of all, are the halachot regarding the month of Nisan which we hope to cover today. Second, Bedikat Hametz, searching for the Hametz, which takes place really on Yud Dalet, in the evening of Yud Dalet, which means it's going to be on Sunday night, April 13th. Next, also, there's a category of Hechsher Kelim, preparing the utensils that one needs to use on Pesach. Afiyat Matzah, the fourth category is the Matzah, all the Halachot are necessary to know regarding baking Matzot. The fifth category is the laws of Eid Pesach on Monday, April 14th. This special halachot actually that was brought down for that day. The sixth category is Lel HaSeder, halachot regarding the night of the Seder. Of course, most of them we're familiar with because this one actually, no matter who you are, you're participating in this one. The other ones, you could just go away to a hotel and not know anything about any of the halachot. And the seventh category is the actual holidays of the holiday of Pesach what to pray, and all these different halakhot. Besides that, this is, Pesach has also considered Yom Tov, which means there's halakhot of Yom Tov, and we haven't had a holiday since the last time was Shemini Atzeret, and all the halakhot of Yom Tov, we have to freshen up on it. Also, there's halakhot of Cholom In between Pesach, we have the days of Cholom Also, there's things what we could and we cannot do on Cholom And finally, what's also unique about the holiday of Pesach are the last two categories, which are the halakhot of counting the Omer, and the other one is the customs that are done during the days of Sefirat Omer, which begin from the second day of Pesach, and depending on human hag, it will run as much as far as Shavuot. So a lot of subjects, a lot of things, a lot of things to talk about, and we'll begin right away. Like we said, if you have any questions, 
regarding uh, anything specific, really specific questions, we will take a break around 2.30, 2.35. We'll take a musical break. If you have specific questions, we'll answer your questions off the air. And if you have subjects that you'd like us to discuss, text in the subjects and hopefully in the upcoming class, unless we discuss about it, we'll discuss it today, in the upcoming classes, we'll talk about it, we'll discuss it, that we should give you clarity exactly on these halakhot. The numbers to the studio again are 718-683-5858 if you want to call in. And to text in your questions or, or, or uh, what to speak about, you could text in at 347-927-8398. Let's begin with the halakhot of the month of Nisan. And let's, let's go to the first thing that we have to know. In the month of Nisan, beginning April 1st, running all the way until April 29th, really also go to Rosh Hashanah, in Tefillah, we do not say any Tahanun. What that means is, Sfaradim, we don't say Anna, we don't say Leidavi, we don't say any of these things. Also, in between, and this is talking about Shahrit as well as Minha, as well as Kriyat Shema'al Mita. If you say Kriyat Shema'al Mita and you say Anna, you say Tahanun right before, uh, right before you go to sleep, like it's brought down by the Sfaradi custom, you don't say Anna during Kriyat Shema'al Mita as well. And if you say Tikkun Hatzot, although we'll talk about that by itself, but Tikkun Hatzot, we don't say Tikkun Le'arahel, we only say Tikkun Le'ah. That is done throughout the month of Nisan, all the way from Rosh Hodesh until the end of the month. What is the reason why we don't say Tahanun? How come we don't say Tahanun Anna during these days? And the answer is, if you look in the Torah Parashat Naso, actually, why go so far? This week's Parashat, Parashat Shemini. Shemini, on the eighth day, what was the eighth day? This eighth day is the first day of Nisan. That's when the Mishkan was put up, and not just put up, that's the time when Hashem appeared to the Jewish people. Since the hit, since the sin of the Egil, when the Jewish people sinned by worshipping the golden calf, Hashem went away and He told Moshe, that in order for me to come back, you have to make a Mishkan, after the Jewish people make the Mishkan. And they, Moshe attempts to bring the Korbanot, to bring back the Shekhinah. They were only successful in Aharon, in this week's Parashat, Parashat Shemini. On Rosh Hodesh Nisan comes and brings the Korbanot. He brings all the sacrifice, sacrifices he has to bring. And Hashem's Shekhinah appears in the Mishkan. And as it says in the Pasuk, Vayakul Am Vayaronu. The whole nation was elated, was excited that Hashem came back. And therefore, the, the Nesi'im started to bring all the leaders, the, the tribe leaders, we call them maybe the presidents of the each Shebet. They all brought their korbanot, which is mentioned in Parashat Naso. Each one brought it on another day. Twelve Nesi'im, twelve leaders of the twelve of the twelve tribes, all brought their own korban, exactly the same korban every single day for the first twelve days of Nisan. And because of that, it was a Yom Tov, it was celebrated as a holiday, and it remained a holiday forever. A holiday not in that we make Kiddush and we don't do Melacha. It remained a holiday that we don't say Tahanu, we don't say Anna. For the first 12 days from Rosh Hodesh Nisan until Yud Bet. That's what happened. So, but what does it have to do with the rest of the month? Why don't we say Tahanu in the rest of the month? Why don't we say on the 13th? So on the 13th, as Farim bring down, Khamariya quotes a few Ahronim. Now on the 13th, it was Isru Hag. Isru Hag means always a day after the holiday. We don't say Tahanun either. It's considered like... Um, a mini holiday. It's not a mini holiday, more like the residues of the holiday are still there. So therefore, that also remains. So the first 13 days, we don't say Tahanun. Why? Because of the Nesi'im. Whether they brought the Korbanot or the day afterwards. The 14th of Nisan, 
is Eid Pesach already. And Eid Pesach, we bring the Korban. And anytime you bring the Korban, it's considered a holiday for the person who brings it. And also, besides that, it's Eid Hag. Eid Hag, anyway, we don't say Tahanun. So that's why we don't say Tahanun until the 14th. From the 15th of Nisan until the 21st and 22nd in Hutzal Aris, outside of Israel, we have the holiday of Pesach. And of course, during the holiday, we never say any holiday. We never say Tahanun then. So then we have the next day after the holiday is over, which will be the 22nd in Eris Israel and the 23rd of Nisan outside of Eris Israel. That's called Isru Hag, like we said, always after the holiday, the day after the holiday, you still have the leftovers of the holiday, the residues of the holiday, and therefore we don't say Tahanun then either. So what's left from the 24th until the 29th? So here we have two reasons. How come we don't say Anna in the last five days? The holiday is over already. Isru Hag is over. Why don't we say it? So there's two reasons. One is what the Beit Yosef brings down. The Beit Yosef says, you know, the majority of the holiday, the majority of the month was already, we didn't say Tahanun, so we just finished off the month without Tahanun. Then there's the Ma'asir Okeah who brings down, he says, no. You know why we don't say from the 23rd to the 29th or 24th to the 29th of Nisai, you know why we don't say Tahanun? Because of the future celebrations. Which celebrations? Like we mentioned beforehand, it's brought down the Midrash that the third temple, the third Beit HaMidash will be rebuilt during the month of Nisan. As it says, On Nisan, the Jewish people were saved from the first Galut, from the first exile from Egypt. And in the last exile, they'll also be saved during the month of Nisan. And because of that, the Bet, the Maserika explains that the Bet HaMikdash will be rebuilt during the holiday of Pesach. And just like Shlomo HaMelech made a seven-day celebration which, uh, for, for building the first Bet HaMikdash, which took place after the holiday of Sukkot, so too we will have a seven-day celebration after the holiday of Pesach. And because of that, from now we are celebrating already, as we know, the Pesach, uh, Nisan and Pesach are the times of Geulah. We're celebrating already in the, holiday, in the month of Nisan our future redemption, and therefore we don't say Tahanun at all during this month of Nisan. And that, again, in the English dates, that begins from April 1st until April 29th, the whole month of Nisan, we don't say Tahanun. Another thing that's brought down in the month of Nisan is that people read the parasha of the Korbanot, Handesi'im. What's a Korbanot Nesim? If you open up Parashat Naso, the last part of Parashat Naso, which is read usually during Hanukkah in the shuls, that part is, the Torah over there describes in full detail exactly the sacrifices of all the Nesim, what they brought on each single day. And therefore there's a custom that every single day of the month of Nisan, we read the Korban that was brought on that specific day. For example, the first day of Nisan, Rosh Hodesh Nisan, Yehuda, the leader of Yehuda, Nachshom ben Aminadab brought his korban. So we open up the Torah, Parashat Nasom, we read over there the korban of Nachshom ben Aminadab. The second day, we read the korban that was brought by the leader of Shevet Zebulun, and then Nisachar, and so on and so forth. That's a menhag, the Ashkenazim, some the Ashkenazim, I don't know if all the Ashkenazim, I've seen when I used to pray with the Ashkenazim, that they would take out a Sefer Torah, and they would read it from the Sefer Torah. The Sfaradim, we don't have such a custom, we read it from the Sidurim. In fact, the Sfaradim custom is not just to read the parasha of the Nesim, that's like just the minimum. The Mikubalim bring down the Ben Ishai and Ben Hidda and others bring down to say, besides reading the parasha of the Nesim, also to read parts from Sefer Yirmiyah, <clears throat> to also to read certain parts from the Zohar, a little bit from Ketubim, and then there's a special prayer to be said every single day of the first 12 days of the month of Nisan, which is Lailun Nishmat the souls that passed away of the tzaddikim 
And though that takes up about 10-15 minutes every day. It's a very nice thing if a person could do it during these days. I just want to tell you something very, very nice. Not a halakha. It's not brought down halakha, but it's brought down as farim. And farim speak very, very importantly. You find this concept very, very true. You'll see it. Test it yourself. I've seen it. I pay attention to this every single year when it comes to the month of Nisan. If you look in the Torah, you'll find that the month of Nisan in the Torah is called Hodesh Ha'aviv. Hodesh Ha'aviv. Simple meaning of Hodesh Ha'aviv is that it's the month of the spring because we know Nisan usually falls on the spring. I know it's hard to tell right now with all the weather, the way we're having it, we're expecting snow on Tuesday, but you know what? It's still spring nonetheless. As they say, I think two days is going to be officially spring. That's what the Torah tells us. You came out of Mitzrayim and Hodesh Ha'aviv. There's halakha ramifications in that pasuk. But the Sfarim bring down that the, the word Aviv could be broken up into two parts. And that is Av Yudbet, the father of the twelve. What does that mean, the father of the twelve? The Sfarim bring down that Nisan, as the Torah tells us, is the first month of the year for us. Even though technically we say Tishrei is Rosh Hashanah, but as far as the Jewish people are concerned, as far as our holidays, the first holiday of the year is not considered Rosh Hashanah, it's actually considered Pesach. So as the Pasuk says, The month of Nisan is the head of the, the first of all the months of the year. And it's very important Aviv, it's the father of the Yudbet, the father of the other 12 months. What you do on the first month of Nisan will set the precedence for the rest of the year. You will basically dictate what's going to happen or your attitude towards the rest of the year. And not just what you do on the first uh, month of Nisan. Excuse me, not just what you do in the month of Nisan. But specifically the first 12 days. Each of the first 12 days corresponds to another day of the month. Meaning that the first day of Nisan corresponds to the month of, of, corresponds to the month of Nisan. The second day of Nisan corresponds to the month of Iyar. <coughs> and so on and so forth. And Svarim bring down that a person who is sensitive and pays attention will see that what you do on those days will pretty much uh, be will pretty much foreshadows what you're gonna what's gonna happen in the rest of the of the year. And I've still brought down from a great Hasidic Rebbe that he used to take notes for the first twelve days what happened to him or what's happening to him. You know, I'm sure he understood exactly how it works of these twelve days. And they saw that one year, <clears throat> and when it comes to the month of Av. He didn't write anything. From then until the rest of the month, he didn't write anything would happen. And that year, he passed away in the month of Av. Somehow, Sadiqim were able to sense a little bit more. But for us, even if we don't sense it, but we should at least keep it in mind that the first 12 days, we should take special care to make sure to do everything right, to not get angry especially. To ha- this way, we'll be able to set the tone for the rest of the year as the Sfarim bring down. Chodesh Aviv, the Avad Yubit. And the Sfarim bring down also. Gufa Batarisha Garir. The body usually follows the head. And the Torah tells us, So we have to take special care in the month of Nisan, especially the first 12 days, to set the tone right for the next year. That's the first halakha that we're speaking about in the month of Nisan. The second thing that we need to know is regarding Berchat Ha'ilanot. Berchat Ha'ilanot, what's a Berchat It's a special blessing that we say regarding the trees. Let me read you the words of the Shohan Aruch in Siman Resh Chaf Vav. It's only one halakha and he says the following words. Pay attention to the words because every part of these words has ramifications in halakha as we'll discuss. 
Says Manan the following, Nisan. One who walks out in Nisan, in the days of Nisan, and he sees trees which already are starting to bud. To bud over here means the flowers. If you look at a tree which has fruits, usually right before the fruit comes out, leaves start to come out. After the leaf, then there's a little bit of a flower that comes out, and that flower stays on as the fruit starts to grow, to bud slowly, slowly. As the fruit starts to get a little bit bigger, the flower falls off, and eventually the fruit starts to grow until it, get, it comes to a full shape, and then you know the fruit is ready to be eaten. And that's when you pick it off the tree. So a person who walks out in the days of Nisan, and Maran says, and he sees trees already, the flowers are coming out already. Omer, he says the following blessing. That's it. That's a whole beracha. Says the Shohana Ruch at the end, And you only make this blessing once a year. Every single year you only make this one time. And then he says that, If you delayed from making the beracha until the fruits actually grew, don't make a blessing anymore. That is the words of Shohana Ruch. Now before we get to the details of the halakha, Let's just understand, why is it that we see true trees that started already to bud and the flowers are starting to come out? Why is it that we make a beracha on it? How come we don't do the same thing for plants? And this farim bring down that, I think it's Arucha Shohan who brings it down. He says that since the plants and the, all the vegetables are things that we, ne- that we need to live in order to survive, it's, it's not something special that she made for us. Trees, fruits, those are luxuries. Most fruits are in as desserts. They're not something that you need. It's good. They have good nutrients, but it's not something necessary that you need. You can live without them. And still Hashem created for our benefit. So therefore, we give Hashem a special blessing when these fruits, when do we, when these fruits are starting to come out? When do we do so? During the month of Nisan, which is the spring, when all these things begin to grow already. That is the reason why we make specifically on when the trees start to bud as opposed, and, and not when the plants start to grow. Now let's get to the halachot. Let's begin with the first halacha and that is the first part of the word Shohan He says, Nisan, person who comes out in the days of Nisan. What does that mean? Why day in the days of Nisan? Is that specific? Could a, could a person say only in the days of Nisan? Because Shohan says only Nisan. So here we have a mahloket. According to the Mishnah Berurah and the and and the Hakam Abadiyah Yosef and Hazon Abadiyah. Although Maran says the words Nisan, it doesn't mean really Nisan. He's just talking normally when do things grow? In Nisan, in the spring, that's when things start to grow. And since the Barakah has to be said when the trees begin to grow and not later on, so that's why he writes Nisan. But let's say it's a leap year like this year and things already start to grow earlier. Not in, uh, in here in New York City. It's freezing over here. But uh, let's say in other places, warmer parts of the country where things already start to bud earlier. Or even when you ha- don't have a leap year and it's very late and a person, uh, the, the plants already didn't grow until the month of Iyar, technically you can also say the Brachadin. Of course, it's best to say in Nisan. But technically you can also say it in <coughs> the later months or early, before Nisan or after Nisan, as long as you say it when the flower is still on it. That's the opinion of Acham Abadiyah as well as the Mishnah Berura. However, many other Ahronim, including the Hiddad ibn Ishai, Rabhaim Palachi, the Kafahayim, they quote the shoot called Halachot Ketanot and they 
And he says over there that Nisan means Nisan, only Nisan. If you said it, if you didn't say the bracha of the blessing that we make on the trees until after Nisan, it's too late. Already, you cannot say it. You, Hakam says, you could only say it without mentioning the name of Hashem. So, because of this mahloket, you have many Ahlunim say no, you shouldn't say it, and some say you should say it. So, we go back to the rule of Safik Brachot Lehakel. Unless you have a tradition, you know that for sure you follow the opinion of Hakam Abadiyah, or if you're Ashkenazini, you follow the Mashab anyway. So, you could say it whenever you, you could say it even afterwards. But otherwise, try to make sure to say it during the month of Nisan. Next. Maran says that the blessing, you say in the words of the blessing, Hashem, who created many trees. And because of this, Halakha brings down, Halakha says that when you make Birchata Ilanot, you have to go to two fruit-bearing trees. It has to be two fruit trees. You cannot make it only on one fruit tree. Even the two trees are exactly identical, meaning they're both fruits, uh, excuse me, they're both cherry uh, trees. They both produce cherries or they both are pear trees, apple trees. It doesn't make a difference. It doesn't have to be two different types. It's not Mishloach Manot over here. Berchat Ha'ilanot has to be on two fruit trees. It cannot be only on one. If you only have one, then don't say it with Shem Hashem. Say it without Shem Hashem. <clears throat> Next, Halakha also says that Ilanot tovot lehanot behem bene Adam. Hashem created good trees in which you made it for us to benefit from. So, because of this, a person when making the bracha or brachat ilanot should try to find trees where a person is able to have immediate benefit from it. What do I mean? That means any tree that a person has planted be isur. Like Harkaba, uh, it's it's forbidden to graft trees, right? To crossbreed trees. So if you've done that, if somebody has done that and he's he did a beisur, so therefore you can't make a bracha on it because you can't have benefit from. It. You cannot do such a thing. It was, it was planted against the will of God. However, when it comes to orla, orla means the first three years of a tree that's been planted. In that case. Or Litzion says also, listen, since you can't have benefit from it right now, you can't make a bracha on it. However, the Ben Yishai and Hazan Obadiah both say that you could make a bracha even on trees that are orla. So again, try to avoid it because you want to be able to go according to all opinions and the um, try to find trees that are not orla and certainly trees which have not been grafted. Also, Maran says, you make this bracha mishana leshana. Although it says that we make this bracha once a year, this doesn't make it a mizvat asesh as man gerama. It's not a, and therefore, women are obligated in the bracha or brachat elanot. It's not only men, women are also obligated. Also, the, 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 the halakha says, you cannot make the bracha or brachat elanot when it's too late, when the tree already started to grow. What does that mean, that start to, to grow? It means that the flower has fallen off. That's how the poskim bring it down. Like we explained, First, the tree, when the fruits be begin to grow, first the flower comes out. And then, as the fruit is getting bigger and bigger, the flower falls off. As long as the flower is still on, you can make the bracha. But if the flower is off, then already you cannot make the bracha anymore. And you have to, you know, I guess say it without, a shem, without shem Hashem. Look for a different tree or say it without Shem Hashem. That's the halakhot that we need to know for the month of Nisan. They are not connected directly to Pesach. Next, we'll begin to talk already regarding Pesach. But first, we're going to take this musical break. 
And if you have any questions, you could call into the station right now. We'll answer your questions off the air unless you want us to answer it on the air, and then we'll put you on hold. Also, if you have any text, you should text it in now. Let me give you the phone numbers to the, uh, to the station if you want to call or text. The phone number to call in is 718-683-5858. You should call now. And the text to the station is 347-927-8398. We're going to take this little bit of a break, and we'll be right back.
همون بوی دایی دفتایی را سر به عواسای دلی به اینو برخ همون بوی دایی دفتایی را سر به عواسای بلی به اینو برخ همون بوی دایی دفتایی را سر به عواسای بلی به اینو برخ همون بوی دایی دفتایی را Okay, welcome back to the Halakha Hour here on Jadewood Radio. The second subject of today's class, the second topic that we're going to speak about is Marzat Hashem, is going to be the, the Halakhot, or really not necessarily Halakhot, but more like background things or, or general ideas regarding Pesach. We got, we got a few questions when we're off the air. I just want you to know that any regard regarding any specific brands i cannot speak about specific brands on the air and uh the trustworthiness of all different types of hechsharim on pesach a person has to ask his local rabbi what's reliable or what they consider reliable which what standards do you go by there's a lot of details and there are a lot of vague questions when it comes to specific companies what about this company and that company i don't know who's asking the question what standards do you want to hold by are you a person that's uh you know how how much cashier is cashier for you so therefore when it comes to specific companies i cannot answer these questions on the air or even off the air yeah i could tell you just the details of what to look out for let's begin now Preparation for Pesach. And this is a big subject. I want, first of all, I want you to know. Now I asked my wife, I said, what should I speak about when it comes to the Pesach? There's so much, you saw, there's so much categories even to speak about. What should I speak about? And she told me, the most important thing is that you should tell all the ladies of what they have to do when it comes to Pesach because Pesach becomes so overwhelming. I get nervous when I hear the word Pesach. And right when Purim is over already, I feel, oh my gosh, and I start to dread it. And I realized, actually, I'm opening up a few books and they bring down the same thing. Now, when it comes to Pesach, unfortunately, so many ladies dread Pesach and they, they can't, they, they get so nervous. Maybe I didn't do proper cleaning. Maybe I, I, I missed some sort of dar of hametz. And we know dar of hametz is no good on Pesach. And it becomes very, very crazy. And people get so overwhelmed and they, they, become, they come to hate the holiday. And a lot of people, you know, and becomes such a, a jealous thing. That, what, what, that person is going away. I wish I could also go away to Pesach. And Pesach, we're just trying to, you know, we had Yetziat Mitzrayim, where we escaped Mitzrayim. People are trying to not have Yetziat Pesach, just to try to avoid Pesach, unfortunately. And therefore, we don't get to enjoy the holiday the way Hashem wanted us to enjoy it. They, they, keep in mind, every single holiday of the three holidays, Pesach, Shavuot, and Sukkot, there's a mitzvah called Vesamachta Behagecha. Just like we have a mitzvah on Pesach, I mean on Sukkot, we have it on Pesach to enjoy Pesach as well. True, we need a little bit more work. So the men work hard when it comes to Sukkot, building the Sukkot, getting the Arba'at Aminim and everything. But they don't dread it, they look forward for, to it. And the ladies, unfortunately, don't look forward to Pesach and I can totally understand why. And But I think one of the main ways, one of the main reasons of being overwhelmed on Pesach is when a person doesn't know the Halakha and therefore... He or they or she, they start to be osir everything. Everything becomes asur. Everything becomes forbidden. And you cannot do anything. And therefore, whatever you do, it's never good enough. So first thing you have to know is, make sure you know what has to be done. Don't uh, exaggerate things. And don't think that every little thing. I'll tell you a story I just heard recently from a rabbi that I know. One rabbi that I know told me 
that he had for his Musloh Manot, he had, he had dishes that he had to, to store somewhere. He, couldn't, he didn't have any room. So he called up his mother. His mother has a freezer that she only uses for Pesach. So he told the mom, listen, I have all these dishes, they're hamits, but they're stored properly. I'm even going to put it in a bag, and I just need to put it in your freezer for a couple of days so I could give it out from Zohar Manot. Can I do it? She said, what? Hamits? In my, my, my uh, Pesach freezer? Absolutely not. No way. You cannot place it. He says, my mom, there's nothing wrong with it. It's in the bag. Nothing's spilling. There's no liquid. It's all dry stuff. And it's a freezer. It's cold. Nothing's going to spill. So what do you mean? Hametz? How could you put Hametz in my freezer? He added, Mom, I'm the rabbi here. I'm telling you. I know what I'm talking about. So she wouldn't hear it. And Baruch Hashem, in a way, it's great. And Baruch Hashem, that, that ladies have such yirat shamayim and they're very, very, comes to the holiday of Pesach and they're careful that they're, nobody should be nechshah, nobody should stumble upon the sort of Hametz. But at the same time, you don't want to overburden yourself. Mean to say, not in, in, in overburdening yourself in, in not cleaning house for Pesach. Mean to say, you have to know what is deen, what is an obligation to do, and what is a humrah, a stringency. You want to be mahmir, that's fine. I'll give you the famous example. Dariza says, anybody who's careful with hamets on Pesach, even b'mashahu, even a little bit, is guaranteed not to sin that year. It's a special thing that Riza brings down. This is not a deen, mean to say it's not an obligation. That Riza is saying, even though halakha permits such a thing, it's still to be mahmir, it's even better. So therefore, you have to, you have to know, if you could try to be mahmir, that's great. Always keep that as a rule. You have to do the ikar, and whatever you could do as a humrah, that's great, that's fantastic. But when you know it's only a humrah, and you know that, you know, if I have time, I'll get to it, that's great. You don't have to sit there and scrape all these little things that are not, uh, that are not going to be, that are not, not going to make a difference in, 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 um, in the isur of, of hamids. And therefore, if you have any issues and questions, you have to keep in mind to ask, make sure you have a posik. You're, if you're a lady and you're listening to this, you have your husband's posek, you have your husband's rabbi, they should have access to it, they should be able to speak to them. And here's some important rules to keep in mind when it comes to preparing yourself for Pesach. Number one is, never make your own decision. Never say, you know, I heard and I think, and especially sometimes, you know, you have people that tell you all these different things, even if it's a humrah. Don't say, you know, I'll just be mahmir. Because sometimes a humrah can turn into a kula. It'll, it'll, it'll drive you nuts and, and that's not good <laughs> that's not healthy and then you might just throw everything away so therefore whatever you have any sort of doubt you should have a reliable rabbi that you're able to ask him the question or a rabbitson but if you are listening to this to the audience or asking the rabbi I want to tell you two things number one is you have to be patient with the rabbi what does that mean, be patient with the rabbi? You should know, just like you want to ask questions, there are many people who are probably asking questions. And therefore, if you are trying to get in touch with the rabbi, and the rabbi is not getting back to you because you know either his phone is off the hook, it's, it's not ringing, or it's ringing, it's always busy. So you have to be patient, understand that many people are also trying to get in touch with the rabbi, or maybe the rabbi is trying to find an answer to your question. If he asks a question and he has to get back to you, you know, sometimes he forgets, try to call him back, and... Be patient. That's why that's number one. Number two is to make it easier for the rabbi. I find this very easy and I, I appreciate when people do that. Is that instead of calling every other 20 minutes to ask a question, write down your questions on a piece of paper and once or maybe twice a week, 
you call up or you give your husband the list and let him go over with the rabbi all the questions that he should answer them. Because you'll see a lot of the questions might be really the same. They'll have a lot, a lot of times they'll have the same answer. That's just a little bit of good advice. It's, it makes it a lot easier for the rabbi when a person's prepared with their questions instead of saying, oh, oh yeah, what about this? And um, what about that? And coming up with questions. If you think about the questions before and you write them down, it makes it easier for you and for them as well. And this way, when you have the, on the piece of paper, you can always look back at the paper and remember what you learned. Also, if there are classes that are being given during these days regarding Pesach, make sure you attend. There are a lot of very good classes given to ladies, by ladies and by rabbis as well, during these days about the holiday of Pesach. Try to attend these classes. You'll be, uh, you'll be uh, impressed and, and shocked how much you could learn, how much kulot actually you find and some things that we may not know about as well. Next thing that you have to know about when it comes to Pesach, that Bahalakha brings down on Pesach that people who keep all different types of humrot stringencies on Pesach. And it's fine. On Pesach, there this is the only holiday where people you, you, you'll never be surprised regarding the stringencies that people have. And therefore, Poskim bring down that number one is you should you have to respect them. Don't make fun of, don't imitate, don't um, make fun of any of the minhagim. There are a lot of people who have different reasons for not eating different things. And even though in halakha it might not be any problem, but still people are careful with it on Pesach. And it's a minhag, it's a, it's a nice minhag, even though, again, it may not make sense, but still when people have such a minhag, you have to respect it. What does it mean also respect it? It means if they're coming to you as a, to your house as a guest, you should try to accommodate them. If they don't eat certain foods, so don't make them certain foods. I'll tell you a very interesting minhag some people have. Some people don't eat hummus on Pesach. Not because they don't eat kidneyot. They're talking about sefaradim. Sefaradim, I know, hey, majority, I don't know, say majority, a lot of sefaradim do eat kidneyot. And chickpeas are kidneyot. So Ashkenazim don't eat it, that's fine. But a lot of sefaradim do eat it. Some sefaradim don't eat hummus specifically on Pesach. Not because they don't eat kidneyot. They eat kidneyot. They'll eat chickpeas by itself. But you know why they won't eat hummus? Because hummus sounds like the word hamitz. Yeah, that's it. That's a very that's a true minhag that I know about. How come? Because it sounds like hamitz? Yeah. So Pesach, you're allowed, you're entitled to as many Baal Chuvish minhagim as you want. You want to be as mahmir as you want, you're entitled to. If that's not your minhag, yeah, you, you cannot make fun of it. You have to respect it. Because that the halakha brings down even minhagim that don't have sources in halakha, it's brought down by great Rishonim. They they took them in great respect for the uh, carefulness of the of the Jewish people when it comes to Hamet on Pesach. Next, when you hear about minhagim, don't get intimidated. A lot of times you hear that somebody, oh my gosh, this person doesn't eat hummus on Pesach. Maybe I'm eating hametz. No, you're not eating hametz. If you're not eating if you are eating hummus, it doesn't make you a shalom worse than the other person. Do not be intimidated by other people's humrot. If that's not your manhag, and you ask your husband, you ask your husband's rabbi, you see, is that something that we're that we have such a custom or not? Also, don't get offended. What does that mean? A lot of times people come over on Pesach, and there's something that you eat all the time, and you offer it to them, and they don't eat it. And a lot of people get very, very offended. What, my house is not kosher enough for you? Like we said, there are humrot. It makes no sense. But that's strangers that people want to keep. 
the pasuk which says bebetecha is the most applicable on Pesach. Fortunately, people who stay home don't eat out. There's a lot of people who don't eat by anybody else's house. I just read a great story. And we, we all heard of the Havetz Hayim, right? The one with the, the, the rabbi who wrote the, the, the book on the Shohara. So at times the Havetz Hayim, there were great, great rabbis that lived in Europe at the same time. And one of these great rabbis, Rav Chaim Salavechik, he used to be one of the Rashi Yeshivot of the Velodzana Yeshiva. He is the father of the Briskarov. Rav Chaim Salavechik was a huge Gaon. A tremendous, huge Gaon and Tamid Hakam, and everybody knows anything about briskers. They're very particular and careful with all different types of mitzvot, and they try to do it to the full detail. So, Rav Chaim Salavechik once came to visit the Hafez Hayim on Pesach. And Hafez Hayim, who was known as a, also as a big Baal Hesed himself, whoever walked at Hafez Hayim's house without being offered a meal and, and whatever you needed. But the whole time that Rav Chaim Salavechik came to visit Hafez Hayim, the Hafez Hayim never put out anything for him. Never. He never put out anything to serve him. How come? Because it's Pesach. And Pesach, people, and Rav Chaim Salavechik was one of the rabbis who was very, very particular. He wouldn't even eat by the Hafez Haim's house. Can you imagine? The Hafez Haim wrote the Mishnah Berurah, which all 90% of the halakha uh, that, we, w- that we do today is based on the explanation of the Mishnah Berurah. He wouldn't eat by his house on Pesach. That's how it is on Pesach. On Pesach, people have Hamrot. Therefore, don't get offended if people don't eat by your house. They're not saying that you're not kosher. They're, they're mahmir. They want to be stringent. And it's fine. Try to accommodate them. Don't feel bad for them. Purim, we have the, it's like the opposite of Pesach. We just came off Purim where people are exchanging gifts and everybody has this great warmth and closeness to each other. People are eating by everybody else's house. And the bigger the meal, the better. People jump from meal to meal. Pesach, it's almost the exact opposite. Pesach already, people eat only with their families. They don't eat out. Most restaurants are closed. And even when people visit, they touch certain foods. They don't touch other foods. Not to say that there's anything wrong. Again, I repeat, many times people come to the wrong conclusion. They think, oh, if this person is not eating my house, must be there's something wrong. Maybe, yeah, maybe not. I'm not. I don't know. But I'll tell you one thing. Even if your house is 100% kosher, this doesn't mean people are going to eat by your house either. It's just a humrah that they, they, you know, they don't make exceptions. They don't eat by anybody's house. Also, I found good in preparation for Pesach. There's a book that's put out by Rabbi, or used to be put out by Avram uh, Blumenkrantz, and now his children just, you know, just update it every year. And the book is called Rabbi Blumenkrantz's book, but it's known by, the, uh, that's how it's known by, but it's really called Sefer Hasdei Abraham. If you could get hold of this book, they come out every year, it's very good for information. A lot of things we may not hold of, especially if you're Sfaradim, a lot of things that we're not so stringent with. For example, anything that's not edible, like detergents, soaps. There's going to see a very mahmir. Cups have to be kashir le pesah and uh, aluminum foil has to be kashir le pesah. By us, Faradim, we hold anything that's not edible. It's not even edible to animals. It's not a ulim achal kelib. We are not stringent in all these things. So, but still, the book has a lot of very interesting and nice information. Anything that you're in doubt of, call up. Make sure you have a rabbi that you could speak to and run your halachot by. Also, another thing to prepare yourself when it comes to the holidays, since you're cleaning for Pesach anyway, get help. What does that mean, get help? It's worth it to invest a few dollars and hire yourself a, a, a housekeeper to come and help you a few hours a day, a few days a week in preparing for Pesach. It's already hard enough if you have children in the house to keep the house you know, neat and, and organized, and you're getting help anyway, maybe, and maybe you're not getting help. For Pesach, 
Make sure you get help, even if you get extra help. It's not worth it to put yourself through, through tremendous stress and to get overwhelmed, and then you're going to snap at your children and snap at your husband. It's worth it to put invest a few dollars, just like your mahmir to buy the special type of matzah, or your mahmir to buy the special dress in for, for the holiday of Pesach, whatever it may be, for getting cleaning the house. It's worth it to spend a few extra dollars to get that help to take away a little bit from the pressure. With that, we have the last five minutes. I don't know how much we're able to get into, but we'll begin. Maybe we'll go a little bit over time just today, just to speak a little bit about Pesach, about the Hametz. Let's talk a little bit of a background on the Hametz. What is Hametz and what is Asur on Pesach and the severity of Hametz on Pesach? Let's begin with the definition of Hametz. What is Hametz? Hametz is the mixture of water with any of the following five grains. And they are, the two f- most famous famous ones are wheat and barley. And the other three, which are subcategories of wheat and barley, are spelt, oats, and rye. Any of these five grains, which also, by the way, are the same grains that we use to make matzah, any of these five grains, when you mix them with water, they... Could be, they become hametz. When does hametz become? When does this mixture become hametz? It takes the process of hamutz. It, it's a process. Hametz is not immediate. It's not when you put water with flour right away becomes hametz. Rather, it's a process. How long does this process take? It takes eighteen minutes without any external factors. Just regular water that you pour on any of these five grains turns it into hametz after 18 minutes. This is the halakha that's brought down in Shulchan Aruch. It takes 18 minutes in order for something to become hametz. However, there's other factors that could speed up the process and it can turn this mixture of water and flour into hametz faster than usual. How, how much faster? We don't know. So therefore, we try to be stringent. For example, if you add salt to this recipe, salt speeds up the process of hametz. How much faster? We don't know. So we're stringent. We don't put any salt in our matzah when making the dough for matzah. Also, if there's heat, it'll speed up the process, which means any type of heat. If you're in a room where there's, you know, where the heat is on or where the ovens are on, so it speeds up the process. So because of that, the hametz might actually, be, the dough or the mixture might become hametz in much longer, in uh, much quicker than 18 minutes. How much? We don't know, again. So therefore, we try to be very mahmi. Even if you go to a matzah factory, you don't see that they let the dough stay around for 18 minutes. They're always working the dough very quickly to try to put it in the oven. Even Every single dough you see, they work in, they put it in the oven right away. How come? Because the moment that your hands touch the flour and the water, so your body has heat, the body heat from the hands goes into the mixture, and it could speed up the process of hametz. How much faster? Again, we don't know. So we try to be mahmir as much as we can. Another halakha to keep in mind. So how do we make, how in the world are we going to make matzah? If you tell me, once I put my hands in it, it can become hametz at any moment. And the answer is, halakha says that as long as I'm kneading the dough, as long as I'm being, I, I, I'm, the dough is, being, is moving, it doesn't allow it to become hametz. Even though flour and water, when put together for 18 minutes, it takes 18 minutes by itself to become hametz, if I'm kneading the dough the whole day, 24 hours, even if I could keep on going like a machine the whole day, I'm just working the dough itself, I'm always moving it, it will never rise, it will never become hametz. How could one tell if there's hametz or not? Look at the dough. And the signs of hametz is, number one is, either you see whitening, a little bit of whitening on the dough, 
or you see like a little bit of hair cracks on it, like very, very thin cracks on it, that's already signs that something has become hametz. If you're a person who's very interested in science and you want to know how hametz works scientifically, look at it by Blumenkrantz's book, and there he brings based, you know, with, with scientific terminology of uh, exactly how hametz becomes hametz. Next, in the Torah we find two terminologies when it comes to hametz. The word hametz and the word seor. Really in halakha, both these things are the same in halakha. Hametz and seor are both asur. Whatever applies to hametz applies to seor. We just say a generic term, hametz. But the difference between them, what they are is, hametz is any mixture of flour and water that has been left for 18 minutes or had any other factors that made it into hametz. Seor is something, is a hametz that's inedible. It's called sourdough, from the word sour, seor. That's sourdough, that's basically inedible hametz and that's used to make other mixtures of flour and water, other doughs, hametz. Today, for example, we use yeast. When we put yeast to a mixture of flour and water, it helps it rise. So seor also, when added to a mixture, it makes it rise as well. What is asur now when it comes to hametz on Pesach? And here is what we have to pay attention to. Number one is, we all know, eating is asur on Pesach. Not just eating, any form of consumption. If you somehow dilute the hametz and you drink it, uh, like, like for example, beer or, or whiskey and all these things are made out of hametz. Also, um, if, you, if you anoint yourself with hametz, it's also asur. Eating though, eating hametz, a kezayit of hametz on Pesach, when done purposely, is punishable by the punishment of karet, a very severe sin. It says in the Pasuk, Anybody who eats hametz, that soul is cut off in the Jewish people. And therefore, it, uh, a person has, you know, that's why we're very careful with any dinim of hametz. Now, even though you don't eat a kezayit, if you eat even smaller than a kezayit, it's still a sumidoraita. There's a rule. Anything that's forbidden from the Torah to eat, although there's a certain measurement where a person has to consume in order to become uh, to become liable for the punishment of the isur, still it's forbidden to eat even a small amount midoraita. That means anybody who consumes even a little bit of hametz, you take a small little piece of bread and you eat it on Pesach, you've done an isur deoraita. Even though we said a person who eats a kizayat of hametz is, is hayab karet, that's only if you eat it during the holiday of Pesach itself. Midoraita though, from Hatzot, from midday of Ere Pesach, which is going to be this year, April 14th, from Yudalit Nisan, from Hatzot, there's an Isur to eat any Hametz then. And that Isur is Asur Midoraita. As it says in Pasuk, Lo Tukhilu Alav Hametz, we got in the Quran Pesach. From the time that a person is able to bring Quran Pesach, he is not allowed to eat Hametz. And that is from Hatzot, from the time of Hatzot. We, that is a halakha, a person is not allowed to eat korban pesa, uh, uh, any hametz. Next, hachamim also forbade us to eat hametz early in the time. And out of Pesach, two hours before Hatzot, Hazal told us we are forbidden to consume any hametz. What time is that this year? In the, this year, 5744, the latest time to eat hametz is 10 or 4 a.m. At that time already, Everybody has to stop eating hametz midday banan. It's only two hours later by hatzot, which is at twelve fifty-five. That's when it becomes asur midday oraita. Next, benefiting. It's asur to derive any benefit from hametz. 
as it says, Lo hametz, and Hazrat tells us anytime it says Lo Yachel, it doesn't mean just you cannot eat, it also means it cannot be, you cannot have any form of benefit from it. So even though I'm not eating hametz, I'm giving it as a present to a non Jew. I'm feeding it to my animals. I'm not eating it myself. It doesn't make a difference. Benefiting from hametz is also forbidden on Pesach Middeoraita. Also Middeoraita, what's Asur, the Torah forbids for a person to have hametz in their possession. In fact, over here, if you keep hametz in your possession, even though you may not see it, but it's in your possession, or you might have declared it not yours, it's still Asur, it's Asur, you have two Isurim for it. It says in the Torah, Lo yira and say, oh, lo This is a famous Lo which is forbidden to own any, or to have in your possession any Hamid during the holiday of Pesach. Hazal made a special Gezerah. And they said, any Hamid that went through Jewish ownership throughout the holiday of Pesach, even if it was done by mistake, becomes Asur Behana'a, even in benefits Asur. For example, you forgot to sell or you forgot to get rid of your bottle of whiskey. And you have a bottle of whiskey that's worth $250. After Pesach, you realize your blue label is right there and you feel, oh, wow, I forgot to sell it. Even though it was a mistake, you're not allowed to have any benefit from it. You have to throw it out. However, any Hamitz that's in the possession of non-Jews means it belongs to non-Jews, it's not forbidden after Pesach. That means Motza'e Pesach, immediately I can go and buy something from a non-Jew. It's only Hametz that's under the Jew, uh, that's owned by a Jew that becomes forbidden after Pesach. Next, the last thing that we're going to talk about for today are mixtures that when Hametz gets mixed. I'm going more into it in the next week. We all know that Hametz on the holiday of Pesach itself, if even a little bit is mixed with the with the dish, it forbids the whole thing. Hametz bepesah has asur afilu bemashehu. Even a little bit can make a whole pot asur, which means I could have a pot of kosher food lepesah. I have meat and potatoes. I have a huge pot, a 15 quart pot. And then a little bit, a dot, a speck of hametz falls in on pesah. The whole mixture is asur. That, Bazaar Hashem, we'll talk about more next week. Now, already we're out of time. We'll give you the phone numbers again to the station if you want to call in. 718-683-5858. I'll be here in the stage for another 10-15 minutes if you have any questions. You can also text in at 347-927-8398. Razad Shem, next week already, we'll start talking about Bedikat Hamids. And especially if you're going away, what you need to know for, for, the, uh, for Pesach. And this class again will be aired on tonight at 11 till uh, 12 p.m. Again, we want to thank J Root Radio and everybody else for listening. Bye-bye.